ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I, of course, am David Grubb. And with football finally back on the horizon uh, starting this Thursday, of course, today and tomorrow, a lot of you will be doing your fantasy football drafts. Um, This is an unusual season for fantasy football, so I needed to go to an expert. And today I have with me Andrew Erickson, uh, who handles fantasy football for Pro Football Focus. Um, I've had a great relationship with them for the last year. Andrew, welcome to the show. David, thank you for having me on. Always ready to talk fantasy football. And we actually have real games to talk about. I don't necessarily need to dive into all the 2019 numbers. We can preview matchups. So it's a great day for sure. Yeah, and it's what's strange is we've never had to go into a fantasy football season in this way, having not gotten to see the players during preseason, um, not really getting to, uh, which helps in some ways because we didn't have any major injuries, which usually affect uh, fantasy drafts right about this time. But at the same time, we just haven't gotten to look at the newcomers, uh, particularly uh, the the rookies. Uh, So it's going to be some of it is flying blind this season. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. There's going to be a lot of volatility week one. You know, as a fantasy analyst, I like to think I know what's going to happen. And we all like to think that we're going to be able to project every game and we're going to be spot on. But it seems like this year we're probably going to see even more crazy stuff than usual. So just go into the weekend with open mind and come Monday morning, you know, Tuesday morning when you look at your fantasy lineups, just be ready to make a lot of waiver changes and be ready to jump ship from whatever you thought going in. Yeah, mentally, I think this year, more than ever as a fantasy football player, flexibility has to be your key. You can't be married to any players. You can't be married to um, situations because there are so many more extra factors this year. Uh, Games will get changed based on who's available for COVID. You know, that we may lose an entire game one weekend because we've seen it in college football with games uh, having to be canceled. So it's going to be vital. You can't be a passive owner this year. No, for sure. And I think it's important to cut bait early. Don't hold on to a player a couple weeks because later down, later down the line, if you cut the player a month later, as opposed to, well, if I just cut them after week one, yeah, you might, you could be wrong. But at the same time, look, if players are lighting up on the field that are on the waiver wire, get those guys. Like you can't just wait around and hope that this player pans out. Again, sometimes that works out but you need to be aggressive on the waiver wire. You need to accumulate wins while you can. And really we're going off of a limited sample size, which is football. So be aggressive on the waiver wire and don't necessarily wait around for, Oh, well, you know, JK Dobbins, he's going to, he's going to break out. You know, once Mark Ingram gets hurt, but what if that never happens? So you got to be aggressive and you got to be willing to cut bait. You know, in the case of Dobbins, let's say, let's say he doesn't get any snaps week one. Look, I'm going to move on because he showed me nothing week one. So it's like if someone else wants to take him, go for it. You could be wrong, but that's just, you know, an example with, with Dobbins. Yeah, I think you, you have to look at it really as a week-to-week proposition because things are going to be very volatile. Um, you could see – I could see teams resting vets at certain points early in the season as you try to get guys acclimated. Uh, so, yeah, paying attention and being – 
being being ready to know what's going on around the league, paying attention to the news is going to be very important. You can't show up on a Wednesday night and autopilot your roster. No, you can't. Honestly, just being active will be a big advantage to even just paying attention to the news, especially something that I've picked on picked up on just general strategy is paying attention 1130 Eastern time when inactive reports are released. We're going to probably see long lists of inactives, especially now that teams can bring players up on the practice squad basically before game time, which is a brand new rule. So you need to pay attention to see who's in and who's out and make adjustments on your lineup based on that. Because a lot of times you're going to see guys step up or, you know, expose a perceived bad matchup, but then you'll go back and look and be like, Oh, well, this defense was missing their top defensive lineman. No wonder the running back went off against you know a perceived bad match. I can't tell you how many times we've seen. I think it happened last year with Nick Chubb. He was oh. facing the Ravens. He was facing the Ravens, and everyone was like, oh, no, you can't start Nick Chubb. Well, they were missing their best defensive lineman, and then he went off. So that, those are just a couple of things to really pay attention to. And I think that just 1130, you know, an hour and a half before lock, before the 1 o'clock games start on the East Coast, just take a peek. Look at those inactives and see if you can make any adjustments. And know those practice squads because there are a lot of stashed players on these practice squads who will get called up. And so know who they are. Know the ones that just missed out on training camp, you know, missed that 53 um, just out of a numbers game. Because I think owners and coaches this early in the early season are carrying certain extras at certain positions. They want to make sure they have depth on the offensive line. They want to make sure they have depth at the defensive line because you're going to be shuffling players a lot more. So as those guys get shuffled, I think that they're, you know, you have opportunities for injury. You also have opportunities for matchups like you talked about. So knowing those guys, especially at the offensive skill positions who are sitting on practice squads is just as important as knowing who's on the active roster for sure um let's get into something uh as far as the running backs across the league running backs have less value we see that it's harder for running backs to get contracts but in fantasy football they still have high value some some people tell you take as many as six or seven backs in your draft depending on how much your roster size where do you value running backs um and how many are enough yeah, I would say I'm definitely with the majority on running backs. I want to get a lot of running backs on my team. I prefer starting my drafts with going back-to-back running back heavy and then dra- drafting receivers in rounds three through six, rounds three through five. And then if I see more running backs that I like in certain rounds, I just take them because running backs just score more points than wide receivers more often than not because they're involved in multifacets of the game. They just receive more touches and – How do you score more fantasy points? You just touch the ball more. That's just a simple equation. The more touches equals more points. And you see running backs that are involved in the passing game. Those are the ones that, you know, cost that premium price, but that's why they're so valuable. And, you know, the limited amount of running backs that get heavy workloads is far and few between, but we're seeing with the wide receiver position, you know, that locked in number one wide receiver is so much harder to find now because you see so many teams deploying, three wide receivers on the field. So you're seeing a the opportunities are more spread out for receivers because, you know, we see it all the time. We see random X receiver here just go off one week because he just happens to be on the field because he's running the same amount of routes as, you know, the, you know, the actual number one on that specific team. But at the running back position, we can confidently project more touches and carries for a starting running back than we can with, a wide receiver. So where I would, I'd like to say, Hey, I always know that Julio Jones is going to lead his team in targets. I can't 
always say that every single week. I'm probably going to project that to happen, but we're going to see weeks where Calvin Ridley is going to have more targets. We're going to see weeks where Hayden Hurst could have more targets than Julio Jones. But I can confidently say almost every week that Christian McCaffrey is going to lead his team in touches. Yeah, he's going to get 25, 30 touches every week. I'm going to be super confident in that type of analysis, and that's with a lot of the running backs. With Joe Mixon, he's going to see the most touches. Alvin Kamara, he's going to see the most touches. So that's why those running backs are costing that much more, and that's why it's worth it because you don't always see – you know, you don't usually see a wide receiver, maybe one or two guys break out because they can emerge – but, you know, Michael Thomas' season last year was just so unreal that it's going to be tough for him to repeat that. And he was really the only difference maker at the receiver position where he was essentially acting as a running back where we were just projecting, hey, 12 targets every single game. And that was basically – he was basically on par with running back numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it was just so uh, – just an aberration uh, for last year, the gap between Michael Thomas and the number two receiver on the Saints, that that just doesn't happen in the NFL week to week. And then, like you said, with receivers, you have an issue, particularly like with a Julio Jones, where you could put up 1,400 yards and end up with six touchdowns. So it's not even just the touches, even the yardage. And a running back who gets 1,400 yards is probably going to have more than six touchdowns. I mean, I would just imagine at the end of the year, typically, they're going to have more than six touchdowns if they put up 1,400 yards. Even when you look at a guy like, Leonard Fournette last year, he had six. I mean, what he had three rushing and a couple receiving. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a ton, but a guy like Taysom Hill had six touchdowns. So I mean it's it's just you never know where TDs are gonna come from. And those those can get stolen from a wide receiver really easily. Yeah, no, for sure. It's Julio Jones is definitely that curious case because the guy just puts up monster yardage and you know, maybe it all just comes in on one year. You know, it all just happens. Maybe we'll have a 20 touchdown season coming up. <laughs> where it's just been building and building and building because you just look, if you match up his receptions and yards, you know, historically compared to you know, other great wide receivers that have put up those numbers, you look at the touchdown totals and you were just shocked at how He's got fewer little... touchdowns than Gary Clark. And if people don't know, Gary Clark was a great receiver for Washington, but he wasn't supposed to be in Julio Jones's class. Yeah, so I actually like Julio Jones a lot this season. So who knows? Maybe this is the year we can get him back in the double digits. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, for wide receivers, let's talk about their value. You said um, three rounds three to five is typically where you start going for wide receivers. Um, what are you looking for at a receiver profile besides just the targets? And how do you judge from year to year, especially when you have a big quarterback change or a rookie quarterback underneath center, um, depending on the talent of the receiver? Yeah. So when it comes to targets, again, that's the primary thing you're looking at, but Mm -hmm. I also look at the depth chart, you know, who's behind that alpha wide receiver. So in the case of that's, that's kind of what happened with Michael Thomas last year, you know, there wasn't really much behind him. It was Traycon Swift, Traycon Swift and Jared Cook and Alvin Kamara was hurt. So there wasn't a lot of competition. So of course they were going to just keep throwing it to Michael Thomas. So one player I like a lot in that kind of similar ilk is Adam Thielen in the third round because I look at that depth chart and I see, okay, a rookie wide receiver. I see Ola BC Johnson, who's a former seventh round pick and some tight ends. So I don't see a lot of competition for Adam Thielen. And we've seen him and Kirk cousins, you know, have a really strong connection in 2018 when Adam Thielen was basically putting up, you know, overall wide receiver one numbers during the first half of that season. So that's one thing I look at and just looking at, efficient quarterback play you know who is the quarterback Kirk Cousins you know he's maybe not the best fantasy quarterback but I know that he's good enough to sustain a player like Adam Thielen and even though the perception about the Vikings is oh this team's just gonna run the ball a lot you know part of the reason teams are able to run is because they're winning games 
Right. You don't just run the ball and just, you know, it's the classic, you know, it comes up on when you're watching the games, like when this team runs 25 times, they win 10 out of you run when you, you have the lead. Yeah. You <laughs> right. run when you have the lead. Yeah. You're not, you're not winning the games because you're running. You're, you're already winning, which means you can run the ball. So when teams are super run heavy one year, that usually comes down the next year just because they're not likely to play with that type of lead. And the Vikings in particular, they've had a lot of turnover at defense. So I don't expect them to be playing with so many leads. So I do think that they're going to have to out of just game script. You can't run the ball when you're down by 14 points, or at least I wouldn't recommend doing it. So I like that with a player like Adam Thielen. So looking for teams that maybe were run heavy last year, those tend to regress to be more positive in passing plays. And, And that was even true with the Saints. They were much more run heavy in 2018 and then things had to change and they were much more pass heavy in 2019. And and obviously we saw what Michael Thomas did last year. So that's one guy like in the third round a lot. So really it's more about like the depth charts and either that, or if I just really confident about the passing attack. So again, bringing up the Falcons, Matt Ryan, I mean, every year the guy is in top five in passing attempts. So I'm not concerned that, you know, Ridley can't get enough targets right. in the offense. He's that's just a really efficient passing offense. So I'm I'm super fine with drafting him and Hayden Hurst. And because I know, hey, one of these guys is gonna pop because I know that there's enough volume to go along. And that also kind of reigns true with the Dallas Cowboys. You know, another yeah. offense that has, you know, when people look at them, people I don't know if enough people have noticed that they did they weren't really that heavy in passing last year. No, they, they were weren't more they were a more run focused team and, and Mike McCarthy actually coming in, if he does have any influence on the offense, it would be that he would be more pass heavy because that's what we saw with him in 2018 with the green Bay Packers. His team was number one in pass play percentage. So I think that Dallas actually has, you know, more room to grow in the passing game. And I don't necessarily think that takes away anything from Zeke because I think the team could score ton of touchdowns so Zeke could just Zeke could flirt with 15 16 touchdowns this year so I don't think it's going to really hurt his value but I think that people are can't decide oh like do I take Amari Cooper do I take Gallup do I take Lamb and that's kind of suppressing their draft cost where you can get Cooper in the third Gallup in the seventh Lamb in the tenth Blake Jarwin goes in the twelfth round but the thing is they have room to grow and you just want pieces of this high-powered offense because it, it, people get too stuck on and this is something I have learned a lot about is, Oh, well, he's like the number two in the offense. Like I want the guy that's the number one, but it's, it's not like that at all because mm-hmm. you just have to look at it from a, a holistic point of view. Well, if this team throws that much more than this number two receiver, you know, he may be not the first receiver on his team, but looking at just how much the team passes more than, you know, say another team who is their number one receiver, that could be the same number. But more often than not, people are just going to lean towards, oh, well, this guy is the number one on his team, even if they don't pass as much, over a guy that's a number two that maybe is on a team that passes more. So those are some of the things I look at for wide receivers. Yeah, especially with that Dallas offense, um, you have to think that McCarthy's going to mix in a lot more um, underneath stuff for the Cowboys, uh, give them some more opportunities. because. He did a lot of that with Green Bay. He used, used the running back in the passing game a lot in Green Bay, uh, particularly when they had Ty Montgomery, who is now at the Saints. But they utilized Ty Montgomery as, a, as one of those hybrid-type players. I think that you will see in Dallas a lot more spreading of the ball around to take advantage of what 
uh, Dak Prescott does really well and not have to force um, so much as they kind of had to do when, when um, Zeke Elliott was down last season. So I think, yeah, he needed more weapons on the outside. They have really good ones. Um, and I think Dak Prescott continues to improve. I'd be really excited to have any one of those three Dallas receivers because there is such great depth there. And that yeah, division can, helps too. Yeah. And to, to build off your point about underneath passes, a lot of screens. We can mm-hmm. see a lot more screen plays and guys like CeeDee Lamb, who was a tackle-breaking machine at Oklahoma, getting Zeke on a screen play, that could be just fantasy goodness all around. Yeah, bubble screens for CeeDee Lamb and let him get in open space and create. I mean, you, you can see a lot of that. They have so much that they can work with now. Um, and I think having a more aggressive mind and a Mike McCarthy has certainly helped that group. Um, when you look at tight ends, is Travis Kelsey or George Kittle worth the first rounder, particularly Kittle, because I, I don't know who San Francisco has on the outside that you can trust. For me, I'm not going to be taking any tight ends probably in the first round. The sweet spot is definitely the second round with either George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. I usually lean on the side of Kittle just because he's usually drafted later. The only time I drafted Travis Kelsey in the second round was when George Kittle got drafted first. So I definitely think that they're both worth a second round pick because, you know, looking at the statistically, they match up with the receivers that are in that range. And Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey's numbers are on par with basically some of the best wide receivers in the NFL over the past couple seasons. And he sees more consistent targets than even Tyreek Hill. So it's weird to think, but if Travis Kelsey just had a wide receiver designation, we would probably be taking him over Tyreek Hill instead of you know taking him after, which is a really weird way to think about it, especially when you look at the fact that Tyreek Hill – or Travis Kelsey, because he plays tight end, you're getting more of a positional advantage because if you have Travis Kelsey, you're probably going to win your tight end head-to-head matchup every single week when you're looking at your opponent in a head-to-head matchup. Whereas Tyreek Hill, you're probably less likely to win every single week because Tyreek Hill is a little bit more boom-bust to his game. But again, when he does boom, it's it's like 50 points. <laughs> so so you're you're never feeling great. When you see Tyreek Hill in your opponent's lineup, I mean, I can speak for any times I play and I see him, I'm just like, oh, God, this is this could be a disaster. I got to make sure I play play some of my high upside guys because I might be uh, down 50 points after Thursday Night Football. So those are just some uh, other things to think about. But for tight end strategy overall, I like either going after one of those big guys in the early rounds or just waiting, just waiting a lot till the later rounds where there's a lot of Breakout players where you can take a couple shots and just be, hey, you know, take a, a risk on Johnny Smith or Chris Herndon, TJ Hawkinson, take a couple of dart throws, one of them hits, all right, you're good to go. And then if, you know, they don't pan out, you just kind of move on to the next guy and you stream. So I think those are both interesting because, again, the second round, you're going to be missing out on a, a top-tier running back or a player like a Julio Jones. So you're obviously paying for it, but, I mean, I think Kittle and Kelsey specifically are worth it. Um, some sleeper tight ends. Uh, I think Jared Cook could have a really big year this year um, with the Saints. But uh, uh, also, one of the things I also worry about, too, on the downside, I think Ertz will have a good year in Philly. Um, but one of the guys I'm worried about it possibly being overrated is Gronk. Does his name lead him to get drafted too early, you think? Um, just wondering how that adjustment in Tampa is going to be. Not a t- not an offense that has used the tight end a ton um, in the history for uh, – you know, um, I don't know why I'm losing his name right now. Head coach. Bruce yeah, Bruce Aarons. Gosh. Um, he doesn't use a tight end a ton in his career. That hasn't been his, his, his calling card. So how do you think that adjustment is going to be in Tampa uh, for a guy like uh, – for Gronk? And then those wide receivers, too, 
are they going to get the yardage that they're used to in Tampa? So when it comes to the tight end position in Tampa Bay, Gronkowski is definitely being, you know, upped up in draft because of name value for sure. He's a very popular player and a lot of people know him. And if you're not drafting with super analysts like ourselves, where we're looking at everything, Gronk's going to be drafted, you know, as a tight end one, as a top 10 guy, because, you know, he's Gronk and there's a chance that he does come out early and, and plays really well because he's fresh and he has established chemistry with, Tom Brady. So there's, it's not like there isn't any outcome where Gronkowski can't be a productive fantasy tight end. It's more of a thing of sustainability. I, I can't imagine he's going to be able to sustain production throughout the whole season. He's never been a player that's played a full season. I don't think he's actually played a full season since 2011. So I think that he's going to have his weeks. And I think that if you have him on your team already, I think that he is a prime sell high candidate where he has a big touchdown, two touchdown game, you know, 100 yards or something like that, and you just flip him. You flip him for one of these more established tight ends that see more consistent targets like a Zach Ertz or, you know, maybe a Kelsey or Kittle. If, if you can get uh, an owner, we you know, maybe add something to a trade. But I just don't think you're going to see it too consistently, especially as Brady starts to build more rapport with Mike Evans, with Chris Godwin. And I mean, they still have other tight ends on the roster that are going to still be involved. OJ Howard and Cameron Brate, you know, through all the trade discussions about OJ Howard, they ultimately did not move him and he's on the team and he's been really good when he's had the ball, just has been lack of lack of targets. And that's the issue with, with Gronk that we're looking at because you have two established alpha wide receivers already on the offense. So I think Gronk is definitely going to have his weeks. He's going to have some touchdowns here and there, and he could put up like a unsustainable touchdown rate, which is, which is possible, but he's not someone that I'm looking for because I'm really looking more at, Hey, I need a tight end that just has a clear path to, you know, potentially being the number two target leader on their team or even the number one target leader. And that definitely doesn't look like Gronk. And then when it comes to the receivers, I think that again, the yardage is probably not going to be the same as it was last year, just because you had, you know, Flamus Winston just basically turning everything into a offensive juggernaut game because of the way he played, just throwing pick sixes and be like, all right, now we got to just chuck no, the ball. Get touchdown, yeah. <laughs> we got to get touchdowns. But I think that can be make up, made up for with the lack of – with efficiency. I think that Brady's definitely a much more efficient passer, even looking at some of his deep ball metrics. He's a much better deep ball passer than what's kind of the popular narrative around him. You know, he, he plays to the strengths of his receivers. In New England, he did not really have many strong receivers that were threats downfield. But if you look at the splits with Philip Dorsett or Josh Gordon, who were more vertical th- receivers, they were actually – he was pretty good downfield. But, you know, when you're throwing – when Edelman is your main guy, you're going to be – and James White are your two top receivers, your numbers are going to look more like, hey, this guy just dinks and dunks like Derek Carr. But it's not really like that. I think that with Mike Evans now and Chris Godwin, he's going to push the ball more downfield in that Arian system. And, I mean, Brady's one of those players that just wants to challenge himself, and I don't think he is ever going to be a guy, well, I only do this, I only do that. Like, he just wants to win. He doesn't really care about – he's going to throw whoever's open. And I know Mike Evans and Chris Godwin can both get open, you know, after last year. After They're both really good wide receivers. So, it's hard. I mean, I definitely like Brady as a quarterback prospect, like an option rather than Gronk at tight end. So, but I still think that Godwin and Evans are both, you know, quality receivers. I think where they're being drafted, Godwin is usually a second round pick. Evans is a third round pick. It definitely is high. It's definitely carrying over a lot from last year. So I don't really have a lot of Godwin. I'm not really drafting him, but Evans, I think is more appropriate in the third round. Again, like I said, I like targeting 
receivers there. And Evans always brings big play upside. And again, you can't overlook the fact that the guy has 6,000 yard receiving seasons under his belt. He's just really, really good. And you can't say, oh, well, you know, Evans is clearly going to be worse than last year because now he has Tom Brady at quarterback. Just kind of saying that doesn't really make a lot of sense in my head. And if you were to say, you know, I, I did draft Evans because he had Brady as his quarterback, you know, we could look a bit, we could be looking at that after the season and be like, wow, that was, uh, I probably shouldn't have been fading Evans as much as I was. Yeah. I think the only thing in my mind is that, you know, last year Winston threw for 5,000 yards. Part of that is, like you said, the pick sixes. Part of that is because they were behind a lot. I don't think they throw for 5,000 yards. Typically teams that throw for 5,000 yards are bad defensive teams anyway. The quarterbacks that we've seen throw for five grand don't win. Like we've never had a guy who threw for five grand a season win a Super Bowl. So um, I think that for Brady, if he's around 38, 4,000 yards, you'd be a lot happier in Tampa because that means the defense has gotten better. But that also means a reduction in those yards and you add Gronk into the mix. You can't, I'd say the numbers are, like you said, the numbers won't be as, as raw data won't be as high, but hopefully that efficiency for those guys keeps their value high. The same question, I guess, would be in LA too, for guys like Robert Woods and Cup. Is this, is, is there going to be a turnaround for Jared Goff? Because it just, it has not been good for him the last season and a half. Jared Goff is interesting because even though the Rams offense wasn't perceived to be really that good, they actually ranked pretty high in a lot of statistical categories. I'm pretty sure Goff still threw for 4,600 yards. So he was chucking the ball. And the thing is they have a huge market, you know, vacated touchdowns because Todd Gurley scored essentially every touchdown for that team. And if you just look at the numbers, you know, Robert Woods kind of has a Julio Jones thing going on where he has tons of yardage, tons of receptions, and just doesn't have any touchdowns. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that Gurley would just continuously score all those touchdowns. So I do think that Robert Woods, you know, if you ask any fantasy analyst, you know, who's a safe receiver, you know, who's a good value, it's Robert Woods. Like there's not really any way, shape, or form I see him not meeting expectations or exceeding expectations. Like if you just are not sure who receiver you should take, Robert Woods is such a solid option. He may not necessarily be, oh, he's going to absolutely break out, but he's going to be a guy you play every week. You're going to be satisfied with his production, and you're going to feel great about it. And the fact that the matter is he could revert some touchdown, you know, some positive touchdown regression, which would be a total bonus. But, I mean, he's still locked into his role, really good player, and just a really solid option. And you can get him again. You know, Cooper Cup usually gets drafted before him, so you just take the value with Robert Woods and just, you know, just take it and run. Um. The rookies this year that offensively people are going to be, of course, looking at. We've already talked a little bit about CeeDee Lamb. But, of course, um, let's start with Joe Burrow, the number one pick in the draft. He's got some very interesting weapons around him um, on the offensive side. Uh, but he is a rookie. What are the projections that, uh, that we're looking at for Joe Burrow in year one? I think that he's going to be a guy that we're going to be streaming throughout the season when he has a favorable matchup. Because he does have good weapons, like you said, and he has some running upside to him. He Their defense is not very good. They're, they're going to be in negative game scripts. So we see a lot of times quarterbacks tend to scramble a little bit more because teams are playing back off coverage. So they can kind of pick up first downs. You know, they're up by a couple touchdowns. So you can get some garbage time points there with Burrow. So, again, Burrow's probably not someone I'm going to be feel great about, you know, starting week one. If he blows up and he destroys the Chargers, then, you know, that's on me. But I'm, I'm not going to probably, you know, starting him week one, especially in this type of offseason. Again, it, it would be sh- – most people would be shocked if he just came out through 300 yards, three TDs. Like, that that would be pretty surprising. So, 
but I do think that ultimately he will be a, a player that, you know, we'll be talking about, you know, come down the line, be like, hey, waiver wire pickups, you need a guy, Joe Burrow, great matchup against, you know, this team here. You know, when he has soft matchups, I think that you're going to be able to use him. The rookie receivers, um, who's the who has the best chances of that group to have uh, a breakout season as a rookie? So, so my my initial guy was Brandon Ayuk. I liked him a lot, especially with the Debo Samuel injury. I thought he fit perfect into the Kyle Shanahan offense. He was an absolute yards after the catch monster, and that's all the Kyle Shanahan offense does is just make guys guys that were even good in college at Yak, guys that weren't good in college with Yak. You know, Dante Pettis was not a good Yak receiver, and Shanahan made him even better and made him think that he was going to be a player we were going to want fantasy. So we felt for that. But I liked Ayuk a lot, but he was dealing with a hamstring injury. So I just need to see more health from him and Debo Samuel's coming back. So I, if, he, if we hear that he's all good to go, I think that Ayuk is definitely a player that I think can emerge. And then the other one would be Henry Ruggs for the Las Vegas Raiders. I know Brian Edwards has gotten a lot of hype as well. You know, they're basically starting two rookie wide receivers, but, you know, I'm looking for a player that, has explosive speed and can make the, you know, he can basically take the ball to the house on any given play. And he's not just a vertical threat. And you ask anyone that runs a four, two, seven, 40 yard dash, people will be like, Oh man, like deep threat. And then they'll name guys like Darius Hayward Bay and a bunch of other John Ross, a bunch of guys that busted that were just elite, you know, speed guys. But rugs is much more well-rounded wide receiver. He can run routes correctly and he can make plays with the ball in his hand. So it's a lot of more yards after the catch that he can do than rather than just, Oh, he can't, you know, he's going to catch the ball deep. So that fits a lot more what Derek Carr's game is. Derek Carr's a really accurate quarterback, not one that's really going to push the ball downfield. So maybe we see Carr push the ball downfield more because he has a speed threat like that, but it can be more, we're going to see rugs just taking slants to the house. And especially with teams this year, you know, potentially struggling with tackling just due to the lack of padded practices. It would not surprise me at all to see Henry Ruggs week one, take a slant all the way to the house, break a tackle because they're playing Carolina and Carolina is, you know, they, is terrible. Yeah. They're, they're shifting their overhaul, their whole defense. They spent their whole draft on defensive players. So I think that they're going to be in, a root for, in for a rude awakening when they see that four, two, seven speed. Yeah. Carolina with only two starters returning on the whole team is that's a huge, huge issue for them outside of McCaffrey. And I think Teddy will put up decent numbers. Again, not a guy you have to reach to get. He'll be available for you. Um, but, yeah, I think Carolina's going to have a lot of opportunities to throw. And mm-hmm. so and they have – and I think their receiving core is underrated too. Yeah. DJ Moore is definitely a stud receiver that's going to be probably taking another step this year. And then you have a Robbie Anderson who came over from the Jets who has ties to Matt Rule from their days at Temple. Curtis Samuel, again, more of a kind of a gadget player who last year was kind of, I think in my opinion, was being played in a role that wasn't meant for him. He was being used as a vertical threat and it was just, you know, it just didn't work out. And so I think that's why they brought in Robbie Anderson. It's like, Hey, like, no, we want Robbie Anderson to be the vertical threat. He's the better stretch the field receiver. We want Curtis Samuel. We just want to get the ball in his hands. And cause that was the problem. It's like, we couldn't get the ball in Curtis Samuel's hands right. last year. That was, that was the issue that he could, the guy, it's not like you can't make plays. You can, it just, they couldn't get in the ball. So I think that Robbie Anderson is going to fill in as a deep threat. Curtis Samuel is going to be worked in more line of scrimmage and, and potentially, you know, work because he played some running back at Ohio state. So yeah. he definitely can do more than just be a vertical threat. And I think that Anderson definitely fits that bill, but yeah, I think Teddy Bridgewater, if we can see him more, just kind of unleash the ball a little bit more. I think, I think Bridgewater would be, be into that because he's been kind of penciled in as a, a game manager at this point. And he's kind of in a, you know, an, 
interesting point of his career where he's on his now, I think it's technically it's fourth team. Cause he had a, a brief stint with the jets yeah. where he got traded to the saints. And, you know, we're still kind of not really sure who Bridgewater is. We, you know, he was a former first round pick. And it, so I think that we're going to try to see him kind of come into his own and, and really live up to that first round pedigree that we all kind of expected out of him when he was drafted by the Vikings. Yeah. His last, his last three starts with new Orleans were really, really effective. And he showed that he could not just, he didn't just focus on Mike Thomas. The saints had a lot of balance, um, which helped too. Um, so we'll see have it, you know, having a dynamic player behind you and Christian McCaffrey certainly helps. That's a quarterback's best friend to be able to toss it out um, to a guy who can run it or catch it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Teddy will be in better shape than people think, but Carolina is going to get molly whopped for most of the season. They just, if they win five, I'd be shocked. If they get the five, I'd be shocked. That's a good year for them. Yeah, and they don't play. I mean, their division is is stacked too, so they're going to be they're going to be up against it a lot. Yeah, they probably go. I'd imagine nobody goes winless in this division in the South. um, But if they get two wins, I'd be (laughs) I'd be really surprised this season. Uh, Before we close, let's 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 just run through from out against the Saints really quick, and um, just give it over under value for these names. And, and the last one I ask you particularly about, uh, Drew Brees, overvalued or undervalued this year? I think he's overvalued. <laughs> he's listed as the fourth, what, fourth in quarter, for quarterbacks on most boards? Yeah, he's ranked, he's ranked pretty high. I'm not super high. I think I'm just looking at, I'm looking at really just looking at the statistics and the numbers for him. And it was his touchdown percentage last year was just insane. He had a career high in touchdown percentage. And I just don't think that he's going to be able to, to repeat it. No, I don't. I don't like career years for people because typically after career you have a you have a regression. It's just mm-hmm. typical. Um, Alvin Kamara, overvalued or undervalued? So I think he's actually being undervalued a little bit. I was in a draft last night, and so Kamara has been, you know, basically all summer, all draft season has been kind of like the number four overall pick. So behind McCaffrey, Barkley, and Elliott for the most part, that's kind of where he's been slotted in. But you know, last night he fell to nine. Uh, running back or ninth on the board in the first round. And I think it's this injury thing that people are kind of concerned about. Um, And from, you know, at PFF, we have an injury expert. So, you know, I've spoken with him and basically the download is with Camara is should be fine. It's not going to necessarily affect him long-term. It's more or less just a maintenance thing and it's not going to affect his ability to make plays on the field. If anything, it should just be, Hey, you know, if you can get Latavius Murray later, I think that Latavius Murray just becomes more of a, a, a target but, I mean, if Alvin Kamara falls due to late in the first round, be all over that. Yeah, Latavius Murray is the next name on my list. I think he's undervalued. Uh, this could be a season for him. I think the Saints want to go closer to that 2011-2010 model because they had been inching up in rushing attempts and getting that balance. Murray had flashes last year. I think he'll get more carries this year. Yeah, no one is going to – Murray's definitely not the sexy pick at all. Like, no one in your draft is going to be – you know, you're going to see the little chat room when someone drafts Murray, people are going to be like, oh, I wanted that guy. Like, people are just kind of like, oh, I'll take Murray if he's there. But he's worth – I mean, when he got the starts too last year, there's just two starts, he scored over 30 fantasy points in both games. So he's going to have potentially weeks if Kamara, you know, if something comes up again with his injury. And again, you know, if they needed someone that's going to be getting carries in between the 20s, you know – Obviously, Kamara's going to be the main pass-catching guy, but Murray's going to have his week. So I think that he's a maybe on week one, he's not someone you're going to be slotting in, but he's definitely worth keeping on your bench. He's got high upside. So I think that, yeah, Murray's undervalued. Mike Thomas, overvalued or undervalued? 
he's probably overvalued just because he's the only receiver basically that is definitely going to be a first round pick. No other receiver. You can usually even get Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Tyreek Hill. They all go in the second round. And I just, again, like you mentioned before, career years, I don't just imagine Michael Thomas just totally lapping the field like he did last year among all these other receivers. Again, he can still finish as a wide receiver one, but it may not be by as wide as a margin. Right. Because uh, the next guy on our list, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, certainly is an upgrade over what the Saints had. He was probably uh, the second favorite target in San Francisco last season. I think he certainly adds something overvalued or undervalued for him right now. I think he's, he's valued probably appropriately. I just, I don't, I don't really know what to think of him, to be honest. He seems like a much better fit for real life football. I think that he makes a lot of sense for what the Saints are doing, a win now team, getting in a veteran, you know, with some young players around him, like a Traquan Smith. So Emmanuel Sanders isn't someone I've been targeting just because I, I don't know how it's going to shake out when it comes to the targets. He'd be someone I'd be interested in if, after seeing a couple games. But right now I'd say he's, you know, he doesn't cost you a lot. So he's he's a cheap option. But I, I would say his value is probably pretty appropriate. Jared Cook, among tight ends, where do you have him? And, and what do you see? Overvalue, undervalue? So I think Jared Cook is overvalued. And again, this goes back into Breeze's touchdown percentage. And a lot of that had to do with Jared Cook. Jared Cook had a career high in touchdowns last year after not really being a touchdown guy most of his career. And, you know, the knock on Breeze is, oh, he doesn't push the ball downfield. But, you know, I was looking at his splits specifically when targeting different positions. And yeah, when he targets the tight ends, especially when you look at when you kind of, well, when Taysom Hill is technically like included as a tight end. So it's deep. So Breeze does target Jared Cook and the tight ends deep. So that's one thing that's going for him. But it's it's hard for me to rely on, you know, touchdowns and deep passing attempts to a tight end that is maybe now fourth in the pecking order. So he could be behind, he's gonna be behind Thomas, could be behind Kamara, could be behind Sanders, and now he's fourth. And I need to bank on, hey, I need he needs to catch a 50-yard touchdown for him to pay off because he's gonna have two catches. Right, right, absolutely. Um, Ty Montgomery. As a flex player, what's his value? Oh, is he overvalued or undervalued? I mean, the rumors have been that Montgomery, you know, has really impressed the coaches and that he could potentially fill in a big role if if Kamara is hurt. So Murray would be not necessarily the main guy. So I'm all for taking a, a stab on Montgomery. I mean, he's going to be super early. He's going to be targeted heavily when and if anything happened to Kamara. So he would be heavily targeted off the waiver wire. So you know, last pick, I'm totally fine with taking, taking, taking Ty Montgomery and seeing, you know, how it plays out. So I think that Montgomery is a good target. Last guy, um, and one of the most interesting names in the league all summer long, Taysom Hill, uh, now at flex in most leagues, uh, but he can't use him at quarterback. He's officially listed right now as the second quarterback on the Saints roster, but I can't ever believe that if Breeze goes down, they start him or put him in the game at quarterback. Is he, does he bring you, though, good value at the flex, you think, this year? Again, we just talked about it. Targets are going to be split around. His biggest value was around the red zone last season. I don't know how many red zone touches he gets this year. Yeah, just the fact that he scored six touchdowns last year, which is, I think, what, the same amount as Julio Jones is just absolutely insane to think about. I mean, again, Taysom Hill, this is really just, you know, ESPN and Yahoo really just kind of like giving fantasy owners, hey, like, you want to start Taysom Hill? Like, here you go. So it's definitely not someone I'm going to recommend. You know, I'm not going to be drafting any Taysom Hill. It's really, it's honestly kind of coming off as like a gimmick. 
at this point where people were kind of, you know, tilting last year when they couldn't start Taysom Hill because, oh man, Taysom Hill scoring all these touchdowns and I can't play him. It's like, you know what? Fine. You can play him this year. Like have fun. He's not going to score to six touchdowns this year. And I, <laughs> the thing about me is ESPN and a lot of these people have taken off with it as if he's the second coming of Cordell Stewart. And he doesn't get nearly the touches that Cordell got when he was playing that slash role his first two seasons. It's not even close. Cordell lined up at running back. He lined up at wide receiver. He lined up at quarterback. And he got touches at all those spots. Taysom Hill does not get those volume of touches. And I think yeah, last year is, was, a, was a real outlier. I don't think he puts those numbers up ever again. He's also over 30 now. It's not the same. He's just not – it's not going to get – the potential for him is not higher at this point. I think you've seen the best of Taysom Hill in this role. For sure. Um, last, I'll give you a chance before we get out of here. Any sleepers that folks really need to keep an eye on as they go into their drafts the next couple of All right. So, I will list a sleeper that – you know, he's a super deep guy, and he's on the New Orleans Saints, and it's uh, Deontay Harris. I think that this kid could be the next, I mean, I don't want to say Tyree Kill, but the guy has elite return abilities. He's an elite speedster, and he's on the roster. And, I mean, you look at Traquan Smith, he's still pretty unproven at this point. Emmanuel Sanders is older. I mean, I, I liked what I've seen from him so far. And, again, he's obviously a super deep sleeper, but he's got to keep a name on for sure. And when the saints released some guys, you know, they released a lot of veteran wide receivers around the roster. And I was like checking it quickly. I was like, Oh no, like, please don't tell me they released Deontay Harris, but they didn't. And I was like, Hey, all right, I'll, I'll like take a little note of this and then put it back. But I mean, we see this all the time, you know, with finding kind of a breakout wide receivers, you know, guys that can make impacts in the return game. That's like a really big factor. And again, obviously he's a kid coming from a super, super small school, but I mean, to say that now he's on an NFL team, he's on the saints who just, find ways to put players to succeed. I think Deontay Harris is someone to keep mention of, especially with, hey, you know, teams are going to be tested in depth this year. Man, thank you so much for coming in. That's some great um, information for folks. I'm sure that they should apply it. Can you please tell them how they can uh, sign up for the exclusive content you guys have at pff.com and tell them what else you're working on? All right. So you guys can go over to pff.com. It's really easy to sign up. You get access to a lot of great stuff, premium statistics and access to all the articles. We're going to have a discord channel as well. So we're going to be answering questions all about fantasy football, whether you have lineups or anything you need, we'll be there to help. You can find any, you can find my materials, you know, on the website and I'll be tweeting them all out. My Twitter handle is at Andrew Erickson underscore. And what I'm working on right now is, you know, I just released a stardom sit em, you know, first of the year. So you can get it, go in and you'll see that Drew Brees is a sit. So maybe, maybe you will stop reading me. I don't know, <laughs> but, but uh, I'll be working on just overall matchup breakdowns, doing some DFS content, and I'll be doing a weekly recap article, you know, top of every Monday. So you guys will get the lowdown from, you know, the main takeaways from the week. Man, um, I'll be following you and checking out uh, the great work you do. And I really appreciate you coming on. Awesome. Thanks, David. I really appreciate it, man. All right. So that's another episode of Hard in the Paint, folks. We will be back again soon. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at DMGrub or on Instagram at the same, plus HITP with DG.com to get all of our other content. Um, and we will talk to you soon. This has been Hard in the Paint. Hard in the Paint.